my bad. That's okay. All right. All righty. All right. How, how's your day going? It's super busy. Yeah. How much time um, do you got? Oh, now I have plenty of time. I have all sorts of time. Okay. Are we good to go, sir? Yep. Yep, let's go ahead. Okay. So why don't you just kind of give us a brief um, history, like where you started off in your career, personal training, because we see, like, we kind of looked at your website and whatnot to get some background, and you started in powerlifting. Uh-huh. So maybe tell us a little bit about that and then how you got into kettlebell sports. Cool. So when I was 24, I was working in the rent the rent the restaurant industry mm -hmm. and um i was like pretty skinny and i was like super skinny and i was like 100 fucking like 40 pounds or something like that part of my language um <laughs> and um so i i i always enjoyed like you know uh sports and fitness and stuff but i i wanted to put on a little size you know and and get bigger and so I, I went to this gym that was across, it was kitty corner from the, uh, the restaurant I worked at. And it was called Bull Stewart Fitness at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, it, was, it was a hole in the wall. And, uh, but I was like, I got, I don't know, I was just intrigued. And I walked in there and the owner, Bull, who I'd never heard of uh, before, Andrew Bull Stewart, uh, was there. He must have just opened like a couple months earlier or something like that. And it was like a no frills gym. It was just like um, maybe one piece of like universal equipment and everything else was like barbells and dumbbells and stuff like that. And um, he was like, oh yeah, you ready to work out? And he basically took me through a circuit that day. And um, uh, I realized I really didn't know anything about lifting weights at that point. And um, he, he managed to, he was the greatest salesman ever. He's, great powerlifter but a even better salesman i think he talked me into personal training with him three to four days a week it, and um i wound up and i i was a bus boy at this time like i made no money i don't know how i afforded this <laughs> and um but he became my trainer for like like seven years or something like that oh wow and that's impressive he got me into powerlifting because that's he was he's a world champion powerlifter um like a bunch of records and whatnot, and um, you you can Google him if you want. And um, uh, he started training me for powerlifting, and I didn't even realize that's what he was doing. And then he was like, "Oh yeah, we've got the competition coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, I want you to sign up for it." I'm like, "Yeah, right, dude. Like, <laughs> I've never done this before." And, um, and he's like, "What are you uh, talking about? We've been doing it for the last like, however many months." Yeah, he's like, "Nah, like." All you got to do is show up. Like in your weight class, you'll you'll be dominant. You just need to. And uh, he's just, you know, I was like, I really did it just for him, because you know I felt like I needed to to do it because he really wanted me to do it. And I did it. And I did a, a bench and dead uh, bench and deadlift that day. And um, I was lucky because I had a, um, a beginner's class. And um, uh, and He's very experienced. He helped me choose what weights to open with and do all that stuff. And I, I did pretty well, you know. I think I, I got all three lifts on, on both lifts. And um, it kind of gave me the bug. And, like, it really taught me how about, like, you know, following a program. And then for, like, you know, 
a set amount of time and just following the protocol and then showing up and doing what you train to do in the gym. And that really got me, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And um, I won, you know, and I was like, that was like crazy to me because I, I, I had always enjoyed sports, but I wasn't like the best person on the team or anything like that. But it was awesome that, you know, a skinny kid like me could actually go out and win. And um, so I continued to train with him. I continued to compete and I got better incrementally. And he had a very good philosophy that was just like, you know, just small increases each each cycle, you know, followed by a deload. And um, uh, eventually I decided, you know, I was with him for so long. And eventually I decided I wanted to, you know, I, I moved up in the restaurant industry and I hit like kind of where I felt like my, my ceiling was. And then um, I was time for a change, uh, career and lifestyle. And he was like, like man, Nikolai, you, you need to you need to work here. You need to become a personal trainer here and, you know, get certified. And, and I was actually just ready to make that, that change. And so I did it and I became a personal trainer at his gym back in, God, it was about 2010 or 2011. And, um, it was a great experience, great opportunity where most of my clients were in their forties and fifties and even older. Um, and, I was just, I loved it. I wound up having a lot of clients that were interested in powerlifting as well. Um, so I trained people in powerlifting, but mostly just general fitness. And eventually, uh, after doing you know, quite a few meets with him, uh, we were supposed to go to the world championships and he wasn't able to go. Where was that? Uh, in Las Vegas. Nice. It was at AAU World Championships, and um, so he sent me in his place, and um, you know I had about seven or eight clients, and then he had about seven or eight clients. We had a pretty solid team, and um, we took second place in the world, nice. and that was like kind of like the pinnacle of our success. And they were just regular people, like like me, you know. They were just like nobody was a super athlete, just like super consistent mm -hmm. and um i feel like that's like the philosophy is that what I, makes the super athlete super consistency i think so yeah i think so i agree um so how did you then get introduced to kettlebell sport well you've you've met me yep and i am not um as uh as chiseled as solomon you know <laughs> And uh, I've got a, you know, I've got a thinner frame and pulling uh, a lot of weight and benching a lot of weight um, was just, the wear and tear was beating me up a little bit, mm -hmm. shoulders and back starting to bother me a little bit. And at this point I was, you know, getting married um, and um, I needed, I, had I think to have I enough was, strength in reserve for her to beat you up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, well, I, I kept tweaking little things, and so I'd be personal training, and I have a, a thrown out back. And I don't know if you've ever thrown out your back, but like if you have a thrown out back, even five pound dumbbells, you try to put them out in front of you to yep. hand them to somebody, and you're like, oh my god, it's excruciating, and I could barely work. And uh, so I talked to another coach, um, uh, Dick Schuler, and uh, he introduced me to Tom Corrigan. Uh, it was like you need to talk to. This guy and get into kettlebells because it'll strengthen your joints, 
help your back and all that stuff. And so I got into kettlebells uh, through Tom Corrigan, and um, like it did what he said it would. I spent a lot of time with Tom Corrigan, and um, I was getting stronger. And actually, my cardiovascular health was getting better too. It was really bad when I was in powerlifting. I would start sweating, you know, <laughs> if I like ran a block, you know. And um, the cardio and was totally like off limits. Yeah, seriously, it's like five reps or more was, was cardio for me. And um, uh, I found that with kettlebells, I was getting a really good workout with much lighter weight. And I was getting stronger, and I felt like I was in better shape, and I wasn't getting those injuries. And, you know, I, I always tell people I feel like I was probably born to be a dancer. I was built to be a dancer, not, not a, a power lifter. <laughs> and I was just, that, that's why you yeah, wear the I was, snazzy suits. I was pushed into it. Yeah, that's why we like the spandex so much. Um, <laughs> but um, but when I found kettlebells, I was like, wow, this really resonates with me. Because kettlebells are like truly anatomical mass, right? Like if you're tall, you can use your leverage. If you're short, you can use your low center of gravity. All these little things that you can kind of mix and match to, to work best with your anatomy. And I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. I like this. And the more I did it, the more... I wanted to do it, and then started incorporating it with clients, and it snowballed. Um, and then eventually, you know, we were doing classes, and um, I just eventually I had to outgrow that that space, and so I were wound you up teaching kettlebells in the powerlifting gym. Yeah, yeah, and actually oh they they had expanded at that point. They had moved to a different location and become more of like a, a all around family fitness center. And um, I had a lot of clients at one point. I had like 60 clients, personal training clients. And I was doing like 14 a day. Oh. <laughs> at 14 30-minute sessions a day. Wow. And um, it was burning me out. Yeah. Uh, the money was good, but I, I, I realized, I go, the only way I can ever, first of all, if I get hurt, I don't get paid. Yep. And I said, I can never help any more people than what I can physically talk to you in a day so I started doing classes and I just found like the, ener the energy of a class was better mm -hmm. people are a little bit more motivated around other people and um, so I started teaching classes how, how challenging was that to make the shift from one-on-one -on -one to classes uh, it was definitely it was definitely different I mean just um, in teaching style and, and programming alone I'm not naturally super outgoing <laughs> um, and so being vocal in a class, uh, it, it took some, some time and my first classes, I'd have one person, maybe two people and a lot of times no people. And I would just be there dressed to the nine for nobody, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and I would just sit there and wait and maybe a person would show up and they would, or maybe they wouldn't, but slowly it grew over time. And then I had ideas about familiar. how I wanted. Yeah, man, I probably lost. I probably lost more clients than <laughs> <laughs> than um, than I care to admit because uh, maybe my cues were not very good or the classes weren't very good in the beginning. Um, but I just consistent. I was stubborn, and I kept trying and trying and trying. And eventually, you know, I figured out some things that worked, and I wanted things. You know, I'm slightly OCD, 
and I want I wanted things to be kind of the way I wanted to do them. Eventually, you know, me and Bull, we kind of um, we had some disagreements about how classes should be done and how you know I think the gym should should work, and so we had to part ways, whatever. And um, for a while, I had to teach classes out in parks, you know, in Seattle. I don't know if you know the weather in Seattle, but uh, I was driving around. It's always bright and sunny, I hear. Yeah. So I hear I'm driving around thousands of pounds of kettlebells in the back of my Jeep Cherokee, my 98 Jeep Cherokee, burning up the brakes and the suspension. I'm just going from park to park to try to find people that wanted to try kettlebells. And um, slowly kind of built up a clientele, and someone would turn into um, personal training clients. And um, I found a, another gym that would let me teach classes there. And... Um, I started up a series, and um, the series was pretty popular. You know, I think I got like 12 signups or something like that. That was a lot for me. 12 people? I was like, fucking score. And by this time, I had blown through all my personal training money. I was like running out. Of, I was running out of money <laughs> fast trying to do this on my own. And I wasn't getting clients channeled like I was working at a gym. Um, and... Uh, but uh, this this gym let me put on classes, and I was able to um, actually talk to the owner of the gym, and he allowed me to offer a kettlebell club membership that included his gym membership. I think I charged $150 for it, and he got 50 like for every person. Yep, and that's how I started the Seattle Kettlebell Club. I started the Striker Fit Kettlebell Club. But um, have you ever heard of Striker Fit? No, that's not ringing any bells. Yeah, that's that's the thing because it's a bullshit name. Um, <laughs> I thought it sounded good, but the SEO sucked, and so um, I finally realized I need to just call this Seattle Kettlebell Club. And all of a sudden, we went from like number page twenty on Google to a page one. Yeah. And because um, people, people started... are, are gonna type in Seattle and kettlebell. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was genius. I. That's um, funny because when I. <laughs> After I had licensed my, my business, I was Ballistic Strength, and I was doing some kettlebell stuff out of there. My best SEO search result would always be my blog because my blog always had Nanaimo and kettlebell in the, uh, in the, in the, in the framework there. And uh, yeah. for some reason, my, even though I was posting more often on my website, it just wasn't listing high. Yep. That was probably the best business move. <laughs> made. It's just putting Seattle in the name. Trade secret. Because um, that uh, makes you the OG. Right. And then, and then, so that was going great at this 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 gym. It's called Ridge Fitness, and we offered. I changed the name from Striker Fit to Seattle Kettlebell Club one day, and um, we got so big there. And by big, I mean like we had like 50 people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, but that was huge at the time. Um, now, we, 50 people, we, but how many in a class on average? Uh, we would cram. We had a tent, a carport tent set up in the back area of this gym. It was outdoors. I've and seen it was some video of that, actually. 300 square feet. We would pack like 12, sometimes 14 people in there. Wow. It was stupid <laughs> dangerous. It was like, and no then we had this one guy. This one guy was like 6'7". Guy John Lorton, we'd come in, and his his kettlebells would hit the top of the tent, and uh, and we, uh, 
basically the members just the 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 regular members that Jim hated us. Like <laughs> they're like, who are these guys with their chalk and their kettlebells and, and their, their timers? Yeah, and and the owner of the gym quickly realized that like the fifty dollars a month that he was getting for people who lift kettlebells was not worth all the toilet paper, the paper towels, <laughs> water cups, the chalk mess, you know, that was burning up the vacuum cleaners, um, all that stuff. And um, then the neighbors were complaining about the noise because they were outside. And um, <laughs> one day he's like, uh, Nikolai, like, the neighbors have been complaining. I looked into it with the city and like the city's saying that we have to shut down the tent outside. We don't have room for you inside. Like, you got a week, bro. You got to find another place. Do you feel like that was fair? And do you feel like there wasn't actually room for you guys inside? Eh, I feel like um, he gave us a good opportunity. And uh, and then he gave me a crisisunity. You know what I mean? Crisisunity. <laughs> Where it was like, you know how, you know how like when you get to be like 18 or 19 and you're no longer so cute and your parents start doing little things to like get you to move out of the house? Like that's <laughs> the point where we were at. We're at that like adolescent phase where like, you know, your your voice is cracking, you stink, like they don't parents don't like your friends. You're not cleaning and they're like, up after yourself. Yeah, like, they're underwear just like on the counter. Like here's the deal, get out. You know. <laughs> um, so that's where. So um, I feel like he did us a favor, and um, his name's Chris Hansen, and I still he's like a mile up the road, and I still give him, I send him people. You know, he's a great guy. Um, and so, so it was this forced fair. you though to m make a move. I made a, I made another small move where I found this photography studio down down the hill. And uh, this guy was leasing. I found it on Craigslist. You know, that's where you find all the good deals on Craigslist, right? And um, this guy and, uh, and all the fish as well. Yes. All the catfish. Yes. Um, this guy. It's another story was, for another time. This guy was renting his studio uh, apartment or co studio condo, I guess, as a photography studio, because he's a photographer and also a uh, skin-on frame kayak builder. Mm. His name was Keely Yuan, Sea Wolf Sea Kayaks or whatever, and um, he's super laid back. And uh, I was like, hey, would you mind if I talk kettlebells out of there? It looks like a great space. It was very kind of like industrial studio-y. And um, he's like, yeah, on. And I came down, and he saw like pretty much And but he, it was not quite as advertised. He was like, yeah, I'm out of town nine months out of the year because I travel so much for the sea kayak thing. But he was in town most of the time, and like he had a bedroom and a kitchen, and then this big wide open space where he had the classes. And he'd come rolling out in his underwear in the morning during class and I like, go fix himself some coffee and then he got a girlfriend and uh, his girlfriend was not feeling us as much as he was <laughs> and he would like stand in the back and give us all stink eye but the amazing thing is is people like would still keep coming and like they totally dealt with this stuff How and eventually you feel though as you know the guy running this uh, this club like did that give you in any insecurities you know running it out of like a little a little bit but I was so blind to it because I was so thankful that we actually had the space that was under a roof and then we had a bathroom that like we weren't in a park anymore that I was like this is great 
and then better. this is better and then um and our rent was really cheap too so we're you know we were making a little bit of money but then a space a couple doors down actually opened up in the same building and um i was able to uh sign a lease on that space and um you know i had to borrow some money and we signed a, a lease on that space and so we were How able was to that moment signing your putting your signature on that paper it was like it was nerve-wracking because it was a five-year lease you know wow that's and a um, yeah it's five-year lease you're like i guess do or die you know we already we had we have a kid we had a you know we already had a kid at that point and um you know no no real fallback plan it's just like faith that we're gonna make it work and um so we were able to build out the space with a with a small loan that i a small high interest loan that i'll be paying off for a long time um <laughs> uh <laughs> this is like tony and, montana interest yeah yeah so is that um, your is this your current space or the no, no. Uh, we have some videos of it. It's the space that we call it the Hiawatha space, and um, it was like 1,100 square feet. But we built it out as best we could. We really put a lot of time and effort into it, and um, uh, people appreciated like the cleanliness and like the OCDness of it. You know, we we had to build platforms there, like these big. I think they're like maybe four by seven platforms. And uh, we had to build them for noise abatement because it was in a condo, and the neighbors were complaining about vibration and noise oh. from the jerks. And so we had to build those. Those cost us like ten thousand dollars to build, and they're still complaining. And the classes, you know, they would get pretty full in there. Um, and eventually, my current space where I'm at now, I, I drove past it, which is only a half mile down the road from where I am now, or from where, where I was then. I thought it had a, a four lease sign, and I was like, I have to have that space. But I still had four years left on my other lease. But I, but I was like, whatever, it'll work out. So I started talking to the guy, negotiating. Once I walked through it, I was like, this is going to be ours. And um, man, we signed a lease. I still had another lease. Did you have so to I, find? Did you have to look for someone else to take over I the did. previous lease? I advertised it and I found a subletter and she actually um, wanted to uh, open her um, aerial yoga studio there. Oh, okay. So it was a much better fit for the building and uh, it worked out well. And uh, we were able to build out this space. We've never closed during any of the build out or any of the changes of spaces. I've always been able to like uh, work. You know, my wife did a lot of the work. She doesn't get enough credit for it, but she she's actually pretty handy. She's probably more handy than I am. Um, and uh, but we would just work all day, all night, teach classes during the daytime, build at night, and and do a lot of the work ourselves, save money. So right but, now, how are you guys sharing the workload exactly? Uh, well, we have twins now. We have newborn twins that were born on the twenty uh, third of July. Congratulations. And and then a five-year-old. So she takes care of this 
kids pretty much all day, all night, because they eat every two hours. And then I'm at the gym, and I'll help out the kids when I'm home and when I can. Um, but uh, I'd definitely say the workload is uh, – she has most of it right now. I'd say the kids are way harder than working in the gym. Um, and so. do you have any other trainers working for you? Yeah, we have uh, – how many trainers do we have, Camille? So we have seven trainers eight, total. Eight. Uh, eight, eight total. How did how did they um, meet your approval in the recruiting process? Um, what kind of set the, them my, apart? My my earliest trainers had been um, clients of mine, and they've been doing it for a long time. And you know, I convinced them to become trainers. And then most recently, uh, just really, I interviewed and interviewed and interviewed, and then I made the the the, uh, the training process pretty stringent and hard, um, and uh, the people that were able to stick through that became trainers. What do you um, typically do during your inter your interview process? Uh, I ask. Lots of deep philosophical questions. Can you give us an example? Have you ever been arrested? <laughs> no, do you, um, you ask that one? <laughs> and yeah, why and what for? <laughs> I, and I like to see how they react, right? I like to find out what books they've read. Um, I like to find out what their five-year goal is. What their what their like what's their motivating factors in life? Why do they do things? They say um, that their five-year goal is to open up their own kettlebell gym. Do you suggest the name Striker Fit? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, ke ke Seattle Kettle Better is what I tell them. <laughs> Seattle Kettle Better. Um, yeah. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm looking for people that are motivated. Uh, they have to be intelligent. I don't – you guys know, like, kettlebells are – you can't just parrot something that you picked up in a manual. You yeah. have to you have to understand why things are the way they are. It, it certainly you helps. A, you have to have a like a, a at least a a base knowledge of physics to to, to understand these movements and do it. So, um, you know, Wait, it, the worst possible thing is when someone's doing something and they don't know why that they're doing it or why they're doing it that way. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And so, and so, <laughs> there are days where I see, uh, you know, a few of my members who will do things that are that are first day mistakes, mm -hmm. and it's just like, why are you doing it that way? <laughs> it's like sure. you don't understand the basic principles, or you just don't care. Yeah. Um. But uh. I feel like I'm pretty good at picking, picking people. You know what I mean. Uh, I'm really happy with our current crew. Like, so your instinct when, when, because uh, you had mentioned that um, some or most of your trainers are, are 
previously were members or still are members. And so the inclination to suggest to them helping out with running classes or asking them if, if, if they'd like to teach classes, is that because of how they mesh with the other members, mostly? Yeah, they, I would say that, um, you know, I would, I've chosen them because they, they do have some leadership qualities. You make it sound so illustrious, I've chosen them. You've been chosen. But they well, probably also I mean, had the right. I'm not gonna let any bonehead, you know, teach these. But listen, uh, in order to get just this little meager gym where we are right now, uh, like, you know, there've been times where uh, I've had to walk to work because I couldn't put gas in the jeep. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, for sure. Um, you gotta trust take, whose hands you're putting it in. Yeah, uh, I take things very personally when it comes to the to the gym and and how the members are going to be taken care of. Um, now, going back to when you were training in that that uh, that photographer's space, when you're training in the tent, how many of those people are still with you today? And do you do those people grasp how? long and tedious of a road it's been from then till now I mean it, it's almost an analogy for training in and of itself you're taking these little steps day by day week by week month by month year by year and that and just consistently working at something until you get to where you want to be and it seems like that's literally the story of your club I we have I have members that were with me back when I was at the Colum it was it was both Stuart Fitness to begin with, and then it turned into Columbia City Fitness. I have members from back then, back in like 2011 or 2012, um, that are still with us. Um, so yeah, it's They've been like a snowball. Journey. It's been a snowball for sure, where we kind of pick people up every place we go, and and then they stick with us. Of course, you lose a few people to attrition, or you know, some people move, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but uh, our retention has always been really good. Um, and as a personal trainer, you got to have retention, right? Yes, because definitely. Because if your retention is bad, then what are you even doing? You know what I mean? Or even they need to be able to uh, track their own clients. Like, despite the fact that your club is doing super well, they need to um, draw people to themselves as well, right? So that they're sharing the workload. So your trainers need to maybe get new people off the street or at least get people from other classes be like hey i want to take that person's class because um it means that they have a good personality that's meshing with a lot of people i think too for sure um the beauty of a class is that it, you know the energy and the personality of the trainer is important but the energy of the class and the class format and structures mm -hmm. is paramount yeah. and so it's not so reliant on the the personal connection as like personal training i didn't mention that striker fit also was a personal training company and i would channel clients because i had too many clients so i channel clients new clients to other personal trainers right and um that didn't work because the retention was so terrible for um, the other clients or for you? Yeah. For or the like other the clients. other trainers weren't so, able so, to retain them. Right. So the cost, yeah, the cost of acquisition 
is really high, you know, spend all the time getting the client. And then after one month, they would just disappear. I'm like, what happened? And they're like, oh, they just didn't want to renew. And you're like, bro, you know. Yeah, they uh, didn't have the skills to be able to communicate with that client the necessity of why they would continue or they weren't able to stream that client into different avenues so that they would still be remain a client of the business right yeah. yeah do your trainers specialize in anything other than kettlebell sport and how much do you um prom uh, not promote but encourage, encourage encourage that good question um Most most of my trainers have either a background in like personal training or, or, or other sports or whatever. Um, they're, they're usually new to the sport. I don't know if you've noticed, but not very many people know about kettlebell sport. Um, <laughs> um, and I don't even talk about kettlebell sport with new clients. It's it may well that's not. It is not a huge focus because when people initially walk in the door, they just want to get in shape. Right. You know what I mean? They've heard of kettlebells. They hear it's effective. They hear it's great. Um, the most important thing for me is to like break down kind of the, the intimidation factor and make it approachable and make them feel like they can do it to be successful. And then once they get comfortable with the kettlebells and um, – and they learn the movements, uh, then maybe we kind of steer them towards the sport. But right now, I don't think the sport is big enough or uh, marketed well enough to, to really sell itself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've had a more, we have two types of classes. We have kettle fit and we have kettle sport. And almost 99% of people that come in start with kettle fit and it has jerks and snatches and long cycle in it. Right. But it also has the hundreds of other kettlebell exercises like that, that you can do. And yeah. And, um, and it's fast paced and there's body weight stuff and people break a sweat and there's high fives and people have a good time. And then they look over and they see, because we run two classes concurrent, we'll have a kettle sport class going at the same time with a different instructor. And they can be like, and they can ask questions and be like, oh, you know, and and they'll get interested, or they'll hear about a meet, and, and then we can say, yeah, you should train for a five-minute set. Like, it'll, nothing, you know, you just show up, and we'll tell you what to do, and I can pretty much guarantee you, you're going to be successful. Right. You know what I mean? And, um, and in that sense, I think we've been successful. Um, but. Um, I was just curious, like, I think the advertising on your website is, really good in the context of wording, purposely drawing the client in. So who takes care of all your marketing? And do they have like a business background or? Yeah. So it's my wife and I, mm -hmm. and my wife does all the, um, you know, she built the website and, and does all that stuff. Um, and then we work together on the, the verbiage and the marketing and stuff like that. Um, I love to read yep. and like marketing and business books and, and that sort of thing. And so you've kind of self-taught so yourself. So does my wife. Self-taught. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, 
because I would say, like, I'm kind of going through this, we're both going through the same phase, Kelly and I, of doing, like, lots of personal research about how to market. So I was picking up a lot of the stuff through your website. Like, I could see the way the sentence was structured to draw the, the client in. Um, I did notice the difference in your programming, how you had your kettle fit versus the kettlebell sport, and the majority of your schedule was geared to drawing new clients in in the sense of like beginner programs you've got your 21 day challenge um, you've got lots of testimonials and pictures of your various clients um, with with your kettlebell sport there was one thing I did pick up on that I'm curious about is you had specific days for your kettlebell sport what made you choose that approach uh, how, how long ago did you look at the, the calendar? Um, so it recently changed. This week. And it okay, would good. show, like, this day is a snatch day, this day is a jerk day. Yeah. Did you this just is, change uh, it this week? <laughs> it, uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. So it's very new. It's very new. We used to train, you know, uh, Mikhail Marchak was, uh, is my coach, and he, you know, He's a biathlon guy, and he mm-hmm. trained me biathlon, so that's why I always mostly do biathlon. Um, uh, but you know, as, as we've grown, there's been more interest in long cycle, mm-hmm. and um, I've been, been doing a lot of programs, and I have discovered that um, you know, four day a week program is pretty good for most people yep and so two jerk days and two snatch days if you're doing biathlon um and what what one thing people were missing uh when they're doing the sport programming like when i would have jerk and snatch and even long cycle all together yep was you know classes are 45 minutes oh okay short Mm-hmm. Right. So, how do you get any conditioning work in, or how do you get to do a lot of the ancillary exercises when you're basically just grinding out your work sets, um, and then it's time it's time to go, right. right? And you can suggest that people do this for uh, for some extra uh, for cardio or strength or whatever, but you know, most people a lot the 45 minutes that they come to the gym. And that's their workout time, and they're not doing anything extra. Mm-hmm. And so um, I decided to kind of take it to the next level and uh, incorporate those things into the classes, mm-hmm. which means that we can only do uh, – so when we do jerk, you know, we'll have, you know, our work sets in there, but I can, I can also fit in conditioning right. and ancillary exercises and without – overloading them with volume and um and it wasn't like i didn't just try it willy-nilly i practiced i'd done it with um some clients and myself have you noticed a change in attendance or anything like has this affected um the way people are maybe structuring when they come or is it affecting how many people are in a class or anything our classes are overfilled at uh certain times of the day yeah um, so I'm right now we're in the process of building out a back room uh, for more class space. Where your pull-up uh, door is back there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. 
Yeah, back there. Right now, there's uh, 12,000 pounds of kettlebells back there. We've got to move all that out of there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's going to be additional class space. And um, uh, we may need to add some extra class times yeah. for, for stuff. But um, it's tough because, you know, we have these two classes. And now they're, for the longest time, Kettle Fit's been super popular. And now Kettle Sport is becoming really popular, too. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, we only have so much space, and um, there, there's certain times of the day which are like Super peak popular. hours, yeah. right? Like 6 a.m. is like, you know, we're trying to pack 25 people, you know, into this this gym that has basically 18 to 20 platforms. Um, so, yeah. Tell me about um, it's a, how it's a good you designed the floor. Oh, man. Well... First, describe the floor for the listeners, and then tell us how you came about with that idea. So, when we first had our first space, um, we uh, the first space that we actually like leased. It was our first brick and mortar space. But when we originally tried to assign people like spaces to stand, we assigned it with like a, a rolled up yoga mat, and um, you know people would pick the yoga mats up and move them and then some people would be they like have no spatial awareness so they stand really close to other people and other people would be way off in the corner and it just didn't like look or feel very uh consistent or safe or anything like that and um it, and then as part of like the solution to the noise problem we built these platforms and um it, it really felt and looked a lot more complete. Mm -hmm. And so, but the problem with these raised platforms was we were all busting our ankles on them and we are trying to walk around the walk around the room and, you know, they're trip hazards. Right. And, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't want to get sued. So uh, when it came time to getting this new space, you know, we had been uh, – doing a lot of research on, on other gyms and what looks what, what aesthetic we want to go for. And we, we really came to the agreement that we wanted platforms, but we wanted them to be inset. And so um, I we tried to see if, uh, you know, a carpenter or some people would do it for us, and they tried to steer us away. Oh, you don't want to do that. Let's do just polished concrete, you know. And uh, so... We basically figured out, you know, if we're going to do it, we just have to do it ourselves. And so we, we got hardwood floor, right? And we bought the, the rubber uh, platforms. And we basically built, we cut and built the hardwood floor around those rubber platforms. That must and have taken some time. It took forever. My <laughs> knees are still not recovered. And, like, you would, like, measure three or four times and come, you go cut it, and then you bring it back. And you go to set in place, and you're like, oh, my God, I did it wrong again. <laughs> and it took so long. But the finished product was totally worth it. Um, although, did you come to the Pro-Am last year? Yeah. Yep. Did you happen to notice any buckling in the wood floor? I did notice in one corner. Like yeah. In, in one so area. It got really bad around then. And actually, after, it got worse. And because we put it in the summer and we did not give enough uh, room for the uh, 
expansion. The expansion with the with the humidity, uh, it started buckling all over the place, oh. and we're like, I was I was gonna, I was freaking out, and I was losing my my my, my stuff, but um, I bought a commercial dehumidifier, and now I keep it in here, and I just keep it running, in the winter time, and it sucks out, it pulls out like five gallons of water an hour wow. out of the air here, and it totally after about two or three weeks. It totally went from like this and just laid back down, and now it looks fine and normal. But uh, if you ever do hardwood floor, make sure you give enough room for the the expansion and contraction because we did not do that. Yeah, and, I wouldn't uh, have even thought was, of that myself. It was almost a huge disaster. Um, next time for the next gym we do it, uh, I think we will not do hardwood though because it is a pain to maintain. We have mm -hmm. to clean it with something else. And then clean the mats with something else. Mm -hmm. uh, they have products that I think look the same that you could use the same moss across the whole thing. Right. So, but that's that's the story on that. We like the aesthetic. We like people to have their their own place to call home for that 45 minutes. I completely get that. I have this couple of groups of classes who like our space is just in our home, right? We use our our garage. They crowd the door when class starts. It's this really weird, like, dynamic. They come in, but they don't want to truly enter. And I'll be like, okay. And then you try to get them to go. And I'm like, okay, I need you guys all to move away from the door. And no one moves. And I'm like, okay, two of you over there. Two of you over there. And then, like, still, I have to, like, physically, like, name so-and-so in this corner. So, And we try to... When we do kettlebell sport, we've kind of got, because we only allow six people in our classes, our classes are small, we have six spots that people should be at, and then they all just face the clock kind of thing. But it, it's interesting how people don't have that awareness, and even I've noticed at competitions, like, I'll be in a warm-up area, and someone will walk by me, and it scares the crap out of me, because I think I'm going to hit them. Because yep. they don't know th how close they are to me, and uh, they're kind of coming out of the corner of my eye because I'm half bent over or whatever, right? So it's just interesting, people's perceptions of their body and space. Um, can you tell us uh, about your kids' program? Because we'd love to hear what made you start it, um, how you get kids involved, and kind of the, the storyline behind that. Well, I love the... You know, I love kettlebells, and I love the sport of it, and, um... You love how it makes your glutes look in a pair of pants? You, you said it. Um, <laughs> and, um, I just, uh, it, like, I'm coming to the realization that, like, you know, sport's gonna grow. Like, it's not gonna be aging personal trainers like ourselves no. that are gonna grow this thing. Technically, you know, we we're all too old. <laughs> you know, like, you got to get the kids involved when they're, like, 11 or yeah. 15, you know, and, and get them involved so that uh, there's a huge difference I, I noticed from when a 22-year-old lifter to, like, a 32-year-old oh, lifter, you know. Um, young people just don't know that they can't do things. They recover so fast. And so that's part of it. The other part is, um, you know, uh, I've had some really good mentors growing up. Uh, 
you know, there are certain aspects of my life growing up that were maybe were not super ideal, but like uh, the positive mentors in my life more than made up for that. And um, so it's kind of like, I would like to provide that for kids as well. Um, and I do, I just really think it's good for kids, especially with all the, the desk work that they're doing and the, the screen time and all that stuff. Kettlebells are really helpful. And you can, because uh, you can modify it so much based on your body type, you can, any pretty, pretty much any kid can do it and become confident and feel good about themselves. I just think it's a good thing. Now, as far as the kids program going, you know, and it's a hard market to tap into. It's it's like it's so infantile right now. It's like uh, we only had a couple kids this last time around. It's really the first the first run. Um, but uh, the the two boys that are doing it are doing awesome, and um, by the by the completion of it, they'll be able to. You know, they're almost ready to do five minute sets right now. Um, and the beauty is we have really light kettlebells. I've got one and two kilo kettlebells, and then uh, uh, you know fours and sixes, um, and so they're able to, to do the work. Um, so it's just like anything; it's going to start really small, and once they have good results, and they tell their friends or their moms tell their other moms, it's going to grow. Um, do you get a lot of the moms saying, "Oh"? I, I want to bring my, my son in or my daughter in, and how many of them actually follow up on that? Oh, yeah. You can probably have a hundred people people say that, and you'll get maybe one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, it takes... you got to get a couple influencer kids, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you get one or two cool kids that do it, and then, like, all the other kids Things work, work best with peer pressure. Yeah. And, or if they find out that it's good for their soccer or their baseball or their more mainstream sport, then they'll, they'll be likely to do it. Or if their parents realize that it's actually good for the kids' health, then they'll be likely to, to do it. Better than sitting on their butt, at least. Yeah. Now, would you say your team is pretty big right now, and have the numbers been pretty consistent? How many competitors do you have right now? So we recently kind of restructured how our team is because it was we have like a hundred and some people listed as being on our team, right? Okay. But some people had moved or whatever. There's just there's really no rhyme or reason. Like anybody who said that they're on the team, they're on the team. You know what I mean? I, I would great. say that I probably have a pretty good idea of who the consistent people are because yeah. we've been to so many of the same competitions together that. I know the people who I see regularly. So just recently, with the rollout of the new class schedule, we created an application process. We basically booted everybody off the team and had them yep. reapply yep. with an application, apply for their name, for their number, and whatnot. And Are you going to do that yearly? Yeah. That's, yep. And yeah. there's going to be there's going to be an enrollment period. Yep. Right. So you have to enroll during a certain time. Like the, uh, open enrollment is over on the 31st of October, and uh, so you know it's it's very simple. You don't even have to compete, like, but you have to participate in a meet once a year. Yep. Right. You have to either be like a member, or um, if you're a satellite member, um, you know, it, there's a, 
very low fee, and it's just for the programming that, that they get sent. Um, but so that's gotten it down to like 50 people, um, and I think that's that's more manageable. It's still a pretty large team. Um, How invested so. in each lifter do you feel like you are, or or is it even possible? How invested am I in each lifter? Yeah, well, I mean, you are, you know, you're putting together programming and, and you can, you know, generalize the programming and, and deliver yeah. it in such a way that it's like, okay, you're you're going to do this format with your main sets and then add two kilograms here, subtract two kilograms there. And people can kind of put that together, but um, one, it's hard not to invest a bit more time and, and energy into each individual's success. But yeah, how invested are you in each individual's personal success with that? I mean, I'm I'm hugely invested in them individually, but also my mate. You know, the the team, the overall team is the most important. So no individual is more important than the whole team, right? So. Am I spending a ton of one-on-one -on -one time with every single person? No. Um, I rely on the veteran team members and coaches to help out with that more individualized uh, attention. Um, and I'm, I'm more coming at it from a higher level and trying to make sure that the whole thing runs smoothly. Um. Now, the junction where marketing meets uh, your, 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 your passion um, tell me about the Pro-Am, what made you decide to, to pull the trigger on that, and how much um, your marketing plan fed into starting a competition? Because it can be a, a really good marketing tool. Obviously, you're putting on a public event that you can advertise out and perhaps you know get grants or funding through the municipality, stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. Um, so the competition, um, it's like a labor of love, you know, we, the gym itself is like a labor of love. It's like, you know, part of it is ego, you know, like I always wanted a really cool gym. There was no cool kettlebell gym, so I created it at huge financial expense and risk. <laughs> and, um, you know, not until recently has it really started to, to take off, you know. And the same thing with the competitions. We've put on other smaller competitions. Some of them, you know, like we'll get good turnout and, like, maybe make a little bit of money. But if you start to add in all the labor into it that you actually need to work putting into it, it's really – it's not like – it's not like you're making any money off of it. You know what I mean? Um, but the Pro-Am – is like we want to compete and there's a limited amount of uh, competitions in in our area we have this beautiful space we have all these kettlebells like and we need something to train towards so why not do it and the way I think of the sport for us is you know it's it's not necessarily for business, it's not our main focus. It's a customer retention tool because people who do the sport tend to stick around a little longer. Mm -hmm. um, and we can use it for our marketing, okay? But we have to write off a lot of what we do for the sport as a marketing expense.
because uh, the amount of effort that you put into the sport does not necessarily come back to you in sales. You understand what I mean? Um, so um, the the competition itself is actually being funded by my nonprofit um, that I sell kettlebells on the side. That I don't know, maybe you've seen the the National Kettlebell Organization kettlebell. Yeah, I saw your I saw a picture of your new bells. They look awesome. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is my second order that I've done, and uh, the last year's pro am basically funded it. Uh, with some money from the gym, but a lot of money from the kettlebell sales. And, um, you know, of course, uh, sign-ups help and stuff like that. Um, but uh, we're doing the same thing this year. And, um, you know, the kettlebell sales uh, help pay for the competition. Um, if it's a really big competition, then uh, the profits go back into the nonprofit so we can put on more competitions or do youth programs and hoping to grow the sport that way. Um, now, obviously, I'm sure you're well aware that IUPL uh, World Championships are happening right now in Latvia. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I was, was wondering. Like, why aren't we there? Was that? <laughs> I was like, why aren't we there? You know well, what I mean? Well, that's what I, I wanted to ask out. you because um, obviously you have a lot of lifters and you have a lot of seasoned lifters, in my opinion, at this point. And um, have you had, have you sent any of your uh, lifters to USA Nationals, uh, AKA Nationals, and, sub and subsequently uh, IUKL Worlds? Um, and do you have any plans to do so? Is there interest? Tell me about that. Uh, we have not yet, but we plan on doing that um, because we want to go to the Worlds. Now, previously, we we've basically had all our eggs in the, the, the Keta or the, the WAKSC basket, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But, you know, you're aware of the, um, you know, the split there. Um, and so there's much... To be honest, I don't keep track very closely to that kind of stuff. Without but getting into details, Dennis Vasilov and Sergey Rachinsky are no longer partners on that. Okay. Dennis Vasilov was putting on all the competitions basically on the West Coast for the, the WAKSC. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of events to go to through that Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, you know, our team really wanted to do well in that Grand Prix. And we did. We were number four last year. But that's because of all the events that we're able to go to and our placings. So, mm -hmm. But now that's kind of gone away. Um, so unless the WAKSC puts on more meets, in our neighborhood, then we're not going to be able to be a part of that in any real fashion. So yeah, I've started looking at AKA and IUKL, um, and you know, it's just that their events are kind of more on the East Coast. Yeah, it you does know? seem like that. Yeah. And although we we do like to travel, you know, most of us have jobs and kids and stuff like that, so. Mm -hmm. Uh, every once in a while we can go to the East Coast, but not on a super regular basis. So I was actually meaning to talk to you guys, like, you know, you guys have a lot of meets, and, you know, like, it would be great if it was part of a, of a Grand Prix or a larger circuit so that, you know, we could be contributing to our, you know, the Grand Prix standings or something like that. Um, 
I think a lot of the lifters would be motivated by that. Um, and so for us to hook up with um, WAKSC as a Grand Prix or, location or, or it, I'm, I'm not saying any, any group or a, another, I'm just saying if, if there's just some sort of unifying factor yeah. that, you know, so it's part of the same web, you know? Well, let, what I will do is because next year we're, our competition is going to be part of the national development comps, um, circuit calendar of events. And uh, I should get you talking with Mike and see about having a south of the border location that will um, tie into that whole point system. Okay. And we can talk yeah. about that. I think people, you know, we're trying to send people up to the, uh, Camille over here. She's going up, up to the, um, to, uh, to Victoria to compete. And uh, we're trying to recruit more people to yeah. yeah, we're awesome. trying to recruit more people to get up there. It's a good place, um, kind of midway between the last competition and then the December one. There's a, a uh, walk-on ferry that goes from Victoria and Seattle, between Victoria and Seattle, isn't there? Yeah, um, but would you know, it'd be great if it was like either a qualifier or something that contributed points. Yeah. You know, people here aren't so much motivated by cash prizes because yeah, yeah. most of them are amateurs, first of all, and they have no. Um, delusions of grandeur as far as like walking home with the 500 Canadian dollars. The, the, um, the irony is that it's <laughs> it's meant to promote amateur athletes while at the same time offering monetary prizes. So it is um, it is kind of ironic and humorous that way, but um, yeah, um, it's, it's always a struggle to, to try and find it almost seems like we're trying to find as many ways as possible to incentivize, but um, I think the work that you do and, and I do and, and the coaches of smaller gyms do at the grassroots level trying to encourage our lifters and uh, instill in them the thrill of the chase and, and going to these events I think that's going to be really the big part of it that gets these people to events yeah um, I tell you like a lot of our lifters are really motivated by the team rankings and stuff like that because you know, not everybody can be number one or number three or anything like that, but mm -hmm. they, they feel like they, they can at least get on the board yeah. and add to the team rankings. They feel like they've done their part. And, um, you know, those are my favorite lifters, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. My favorite lifters are not the highest performing athletes. They're the ones that are actually the ones that maybe were doubting themselves when they first walked into the gym and this is like so out of their comfort level and they go out and they just finish. And uh, that's, you know, I think those people need it more than the person who's trying to get a new world record or, you know, or first place finish. I mean, that's kind of satisfying ego a little bit. That's a personal journey. Um, our our job, I think, is to kind of help out the people that that need it. You know what I mean? So. And so, within your uh, club or within your gym, what sort of member rewards uh, or uh, badge sort of incentives do you have? Like, do you have a 
uh, a, a wall of fame sort of thing, or do you uh, post people's results and keep them posted on the wall sort of thing? Or because uh, on my wall, I do have some. Uh, I I make out uh, these little cardboard or or craft uh, paper kettlebells, and I write people's uh, uh, results on them. And I try to keep it. I keep it uh, reserved for the year that we're in so all the results that I have on the wall are strictly 2018 and uh, and I laminate all these kettlebells and I stick them up on the wall so people can see kind of where they're at and also people get a feeling of for where they get more perspective as to where other people are and where they are and they can see what's possible and for me I I see the most value in that in terms of obviously it's nice for them to be recognized but in the same way when you listen to like uh, Louis Simmons for example talk about you know it, it, it took one guy to squat 800 pounds, and then once one guy did it, a month later, four guys are doing it sort of thing. Yep. So uh, that's a good question. Camille writes all our blogs, all right? And so she does member highlights, and she'll blog about um, how the competition went. And so that's, that's sort of how we recognize um, our members. Um. And and those are very person. Those are almost like uh, human interest stories because uh, those are legit articles. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a lot of times they're, you know, sometimes they're on the competition side. A lot of times they're on just the fitness level stuff. Um. Uh, I think just because of the group class structure the way it is, it's just being congratulated by the other teammates mm-hmm. is enough. Um, and I'll, you know, is this I give part of your a, feedback I system as a, a coach? What's that? Is this part of your feedback system as a coach? Um, like yeah, I'm a. Ver- <laughs> I don't give a lot of feedback. <laughs> <laughs> People will probably tell you that. I would just, Do you take uh, the, the mama bird approach where it's like I'm going to give you? You know, the bare minimum of what you need to survive and you're off on your own kind of thing. Sort of. I tend to take that approach myself a lot of the time. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a no, no bullshit, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you get a compliment, you really... You got you a compliment. You nailed it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not... Yeah, we're not here blowing smoke, you it's, know. It's it's hard not to. Um, obviously, I'm, you know, people are paying me to give them the guidance that 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 they need, and so, you know, I'll critique them. But you walk a fine line where you want to be careful not to. Um, you don't want to come off like you're picking on people, but at the same time, um, if people willfully ignore the instructions, then they're asking to be picked on, right? Yeah. Uh, but it, as a coach, you know, you have a, a responsibility to not only give them the guidance they need, but at the same time, you don't want to pat their bum, but um, you still have to be encouraging. And, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult line to walk. Um, every I have, a co- I have a coaching book, Successful Coaching, um, and I'm always looking in there for new ideas to try and be a better coach, and I'm sure you're doing the same, looking in all sorts of directions and ways to be a better coach because uh, obviously we can all improve at whatever it is that we're uh, in, uh, striving to, to do. But um, one of the things I started implementing post-competition 
and this is great for when we travel because we'll go and, and we'll do our competition and then we'll do some post-competition eats and we'll sit down and and we'll eat together and I'll ask them, you know, how'd you feel about your sets today? And what do you feel like you did well? What do you feel like you did not so well? And I try to get everyone to take a turn at the table giving their feedback. So what's your, uh, what's some of your approaches in, in that sort of thing? I know you just said that uh, you don't give a whole lot of feedback, but. Um. You know, I, I approach it more from a, a management standpoint. Um, I'm serious. I mean, we're, we're trying to create something that eventually I'm not going to be around. You know what I mean? Like, so I want to create systems and protocols that are in place long after I'm gone. And, uh, Coaching requires a lot of time and personal, yeah, you know, personal energy, and I, I won't be able to do it forever. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm hoping to like empower the other trainers and coaches and set these systems up in place so that, um, you know. You you make so it sound so somber. We'll I'm not going to be around forever. You know, Solly, it, it is true, but... Solly, I love this. We've been doing this, like, my wife and I, we've been doing this, like, hardcore for, um, since I quit my restaurant job, just willy-nilly, and I didn't have, I had all my money here, and I had nothing over here, and I dropped all this shit, and I had to, like, you know, I've been working, like, 60, 80 hours a week, for uh since 2010 and um you know fucking tired bro um <laughs> so there's gonna come to be a time in a year or two where i might take three months off and but the team is going to continue to go on and uh you know there are some people from way back they started as personal training clients and they uh they will miss the one-on-one -on -one attention um but uh, you do have to empower people. The great thing about what we're doing here is we're showing people how to maintain what they're doing and continue on without me feed, you know, feeding them. You know what I mean? That must enter my head you know, at least three times a day. You know, sometimes you end a class and you're like, I, I, I hope some of these people who just choose not to listen, understand that what I'm trying to do is give you the tools to accomplish these goals that you come here for in the first place on your own. Because um, that's an important skill to have. You know, if you have that, then then you truly have some power in your hands that you can wield and take control of your life. And and I, I get that feeling from you. That's the point you're trying to get across. Um, one thing I want to say to you is that, and this is part of a question, the question being, how do you think your club is seen by other clubs uh, around the world, not just in Seattle, not just in the USA? Um, and the reason I ask that is that oftentimes I'm, I'm referring to the Seattle Kettlebell Club as kind of the, the prototypical example of how I think a successful kettlebell club should run. 
Uh, great marketing campaign, great image, great presence, strong team, really great camaraderie, a, a coach who obviously takes his role seriously, and, and we've seen exponential growth over the last few years. And when I'm, when I'm part of a, a committee on trying to grow kettlebell sport in Canada, and you know, I'll say, you know, let's take a look uh, south of the border at the Seattle Kettlebell Club. They're doing a lot of things right, and I think that we could learn a few things from them. So I want to ask you how, w without what I just said, completely biasing your response here, um, how do you feel like you're seen or your, or your club is seen by the kettlebell community in the world? Oh, I try not to worry about it too much. Um, I, you know, I have noticed, you know, we, we get a lot of positive feedback from people, you know, about the growth. Um, and then I also notice, you know, like, and you try not to, but like, you know, maybe people are not always as happy for you as, is, is you would hope that they would be. Um, and, um, you know, those are, those are their buttons or whatever. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I try not to think about it as like solely just kettlebell, you know, or kettlebell sport and really try to think of it as, as a whole business, um, it's a kind of a philosophical question, I guess. But um, <laughs> you trying my to say that? I, yeah, go ahead. My wife and I are kind of like artists in a way, all right. But I'm not a very good painter or drawer. But I like, but I like to create. You know what I mean? And I have a certain aesthetic, and I have a a way that I like people to be treated when they come in contact with our business. And um, in everything that we do with our business, we try to we try to portray that, you know, we, we wanna make sure that people are, when they walk through the door, they're treated with like a lot of respect and appreciation and that throughout their instruction, that's how they're made to feel. They're made to feel like they're very valued and important and so when we create the space that they're working out in, that's why we do the, the nicer touches and like make sure that the bathroom is fucking immaculate. You know what I mean? And that the place is always super clean and um, uh, and those are those are our guiding principles. Um, and we make sure to not steer away from there. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that we're seen as. Uh, hope we're leading with a good example you know when I think of businesses that I want to emulate um, I tend to think of businesses like Nordstrom where I worked when I was younger um, from a customer service standpoint um, just like a, a systems and an employee training standpoint um, they did a really good job I felt like when I was there um, I was felt valued as an employee but I was empowered to make good decisions I try to emulate that, and then I've had other mentors, like in the restaurant industry, like the hospitality was always on point. It's funny that I'm not talking about very much personal training or like the physical side of it. A 
lot of it is like really just the customer interaction and just taking care of of people. I almost feel like if I wasn't doing this, maybe I'd own a hotel or something. I don't know. You know what? I've one uh, thing that I've been uh, been reading a couple books and uh, something that's kind of come up and that I've been running through my head over and over is you know you may have you may think that you've got the best product on the market you may think that your message is the most important message out there but unless you can get your message across unless you can communicate that message unless that message is being received the way that you intend it to be received it doesn't matter and I think that that's something that you're doing really well you're communicating your message really well in the presence of uh, you know how you present your business, um, how you run it, not just the programs that that are the are the the substance of it, but literally how you deliver your product is really important. And it just so happens that you've got the best of both worlds, wh where it happens to be a really awesome product as well. One last question, Nikolai, before I let you go: What are your plans for the near future here for the club? More clubs. Oh, more clubs. Maybe they'll be called Seattle Kettlebell Club. Maybe they'll be called, uh, you know, Portland Kettlebell Club or you know, yeah, yeah. Boise Kettlebell Club or something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure. But uh, how far into the future are we looking here? Oh, uh, probably not too far. You the know, wheels things, are turning. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm always thinking a couple years ahead. Um, you know, as far as this location goes, eventually this we're going to have to move out of this location. I do – my original business plan uh, had a full gym array, and most importantly, it has a banya with a, you know, <laughs> a cold water plunge, steam room, super hot dry sauna, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. also like a sport v cafe. Very Russian. I, I feel like we need that, you know? So that's – and there's a there's a location I'm looking at down the road, which I'm like, you know, if I can scrape together a couple mil, I can I can make that work. Um, uh, so there's that. There's also, man, I got so much. Uh, there's also the NKO, mm -hmm. right? The National Kettlebell Organization, where the more kettlebells I sell, the more competitions I can put on. I do have this kind of thought of like. Even though maybe there's not a kettlebell club like the way that you and I do it in Portland or whatever, I can still go down to Portland and put on a meet down there, and everybody that's in the surrounding areas, they can come down there and do it. I'd love to help out other gym owners make their clubs successful mm -hmm. and profitable. That's something that I feel like I could be good at, kind of learn what not to do. <laughs> um, in the last um, couple years, and um, uh, we've got some. I kind of take pride in how quickly we're able to get people from never touching a kettlebell to a level where they they're actually proficient and they can they can compete. Um, I can do it in about two hours, and um, uh, I would like to be able to show other people how to do that so they can open their own clubs. Um, and, and help grow the awareness that way. Do you see this being like a all-in-one 
kind of uh, run a kettlebell club course or run a gym course, or is it, would this be like a series of courses? Uh, it could be like either consultation, it could be like a satellite project, um, licensing, I don't know. Um, you know, you read Rich, D uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? I, I haven't. Um, I, I know the book that you're talking about. I've, I've known about it for quite some time. I've never okay read it. Book. it. He said something similar to what you said. It's like, Solly, you can make a better McDonald's than hamburgers, right? Or, I mean, a better hamburger than McDonald's, right? Right. How come they sell so many more than you? <laughs> <laughs> because they have the systems in place, right? They have... Um, excellent marketing it's really it's it's the systems they have in place it's like it's consistent it's yeah. clean it's consistent it's perfect every time you know and um they that's the mark of a like a really great business is like you know is this duplicatable yeah. is this are you going to get the same exact experience every single time and um uh you know, trying to get our business like that, and then I'd like to be able to help either duplicate it or help other businesses get it themselves to the point where they can do that. Awesome. Well, that's uh, very admirable. I'm glad to hear that. It sounds like uh, you got you've got some interesting things in the future, and I'm really excited to hear how a lot of that turns out. Um, we're looking towards December. Uh, I know you said that uh, we're going to see. Um, one or some of your people in November, so mm -hmm. looking forward to that. Are you going to be down there as well, or up here, I should say? I'm probably, I, I don't know if I'll be able to, either me or my wife will be there. Okay. Yeah, one of the two of us is going to be there. Right on. Um, and then December, I have people interested, um, but still trying to put together a team for that, and cool. uh, really looking forward to that. So. We're going to be introducing, uh, we'll be doing the medals, of course. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, my wife's working on it. We're trying to get like uh, pens, like medals, you know, for like CMS and Master of Sport and CMS, okay. you know, that you can like, you know, put on your uh, on your uniform. You One of these I mean? days, we're we're all just gonna have to take photographs of us with all our medals draped across our chests like the Russians do, exactly. and make that our Facebook profile pictures. That's where this is coming from. Is those, <laughs> totally. those, those pictures with them in their their military uniforms with all the medals and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and all that stuff. So yeah, that I kind of like that. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's always always nice to see some uh, some new cool things like that. And uh, we just went to the IKFF meet. I always like the fact that they have the uh, plaques, and uh, it's always nice to have wall swag and stuff like that. Change it up. So. Um, awesome. It's been amazing chatting with you. Sorry I took up so much of your time. I think it's been well over an hour, but I yeah, appreciate you good. taking the time with us nonetheless. Rachel had to run away. She had a, uh, a client to teach, but um, it's uh, it's been fantastic. I'll get this uploaded. Um, pro I'll probably wait until after I finish uploading all of my uh, world's coverage, and then oh. we'll send this one out. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to it. I like listening to myself speak. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks, Solly. I really appreciate you, um, you know, interviewing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, I it, it was in in 
no small part due to Rachel's initiative as well. She keeps me honest with the podcast and, and does some scheduling for me so that I don't have to uh, think too hard about it. It can be a, a pain in the ass doing the podcast because it, it does take some time, but um, this was great and uh, a little off the cuff, but uh, I think we covered a lot of ground and uh, it was really interesting. I'm, I'm glad that you shared a lot of uh, your, hist- your club history with us. And it was awesome. Cool. All right, I will let you go. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Try to catch some Worlds coverage. And uh, we'll talk to you uh, perhaps in November, perhaps sooner, and uh, hopefully in December as well. All right, sounds great. All Thanks, right. Tony. See you, Nikolai. Right. Bye. Bye.